Buenas tardes, buenos días y buenas noches, mis compañeros. I am Guillermo Paturi and welcome to the fourth season. Can you believe it? The fourth season of El Cafecito. It's a pleasure to be here today uh, with a new member, but with familiar faces as well. So I'll first say good afternoon to you. Raquel, how are you doing today? How are you? Hi there. Hola, hello, Cuba. Um, I'm Raquel Serrano. I'm uh, so happy to be back and so excited to share this uh, space with Guillermo and, and Jose Alfredo. And I'm also so excited to bring new topics to the conversation and explore other um, things that are very important to Latin America. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Raquel already spoiled the surprise, but we have a new member with us today who's going to be joining us for the year. Jose Alfredo Jimenez, how are you today? Hola a todos. Hello, everyone. My name is Jose Alfredo Jimenez. And yeah, I'm really excited for this year working with you guys. Um, I know that you've guys been doing an amazing job for the past seasons. I really enjoyed some of the episodes. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to contribute this this upcoming year. See what we can do. Incredible. I think it goes without saying. I'm also incredibly excited to be here. I think it's going to be a great year for El Cafecito. And we're introducing a couple of changes. So I'll take the opportunity to speak about that uh, briefly. So in the past couple of years, we we usually had one theme in which we focused per episode. Uh, but we took the editorial decision that this year we're going to shift gears to uh, discuss Latin American news and Latin American current events uh, in a more... In a more in a, in a greater scope uh so today we are going to be speaking of two big events that are going on in latin america one that's actually going on in canada about latin america which is latin american heritage month and then we are going to move from that and speak today also about the crisis in the southern border of the united states which involves uh, mostly latin americans and uh hispanics and well brazilians and however you want to classify that i think we can have an interesting discussion about that in the first uh half of the show about latin american heritage month so i'll pass the ball to raquel to talk to us a bit about latin american heritage month here in canada Amazing. Thank you, Guillermo. Uh, so yeah, so just in 2018, the Parliament of Canada proclaimed uh, October to be the Latin American Heritage Month in recognition to all the many contributions that Latin Americans and Latin America has uh, given to uh, the Canadian society. And I guess like before we get started into like, what does it mean to be Latino or Latina or Latinx? And, Uh, what are some of the events that uh, community members are organizing to celebrate uh, Latin American Heritage Month in Canada? I think it's important to acknowledge um, our positionalities. Uh, the three of us, we are immigrants, we are newcomers, we are international students. So our experiences as uh, Latinx um, are so different from one another, but they're also so different from the stories and the experiences that other Latinos and uh, Latinx people have had in Canada. Um, so I do think it's important to acknowledge that, uh, that th these differences uh, exist and that it's important to put ourselves in this context of we are international students and we just came to Canada two, three years ago. Um, so yeah, I think that's the, the, the first part that I do think is very important to uh, contextualize. And then I, I wanted to start the conversation by asking you guys, um, what is Latin America and what does Latin America mean to you? So for me, 
uh, I guess I'll go first. Latin America means a lot more than just, I guess, a continent, which is what a lot of people will point to. Oh, what is Latin America? Latin America is, is a continent. No, it, for me, it's it's my home. It's where I grew up. It's where everything that I know and love is. And not only that, it's the culture that shaped me. So Latin America is is is, is beyond being a physical place. It's a culture. It's a it's a way of life even. So my more laid back, my more I guess um, oh ho mentality and way of being were forged by Latin America. So yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree with what what Gilly just said. Um, I think Latin America for me especially and i'm sure this also applies to many other people listening now is not just a place where i was born where i lived most of my life but uh, it's more about the people the culture uh, i realized that now as an international student in toronto um i now realize how uh there's a big community and it's always a pleasure it's always nice to meet other people from latin america uh it, it's often uh, really nice to, to see that uh, we all have a, a similar, not, not the same, but really similar culture from all the different countries in Latin America. And it's really nice to, to find these people abroad when you're not in your country because um, the way you interact with them, the way the things we like, it's, it's, it's really similar. And I get, um, I get really excited when I meet other people from, from these places because it makes you feel a little, uh, a little bit like uh, back home and you get to have an amazing time with, with all your new friends that I've met here. I totally relate to that. Um, I guess my experience with uh, Latin America as, and like how I relate to, to the region, as, as you guys said, it's, uh, it's home. It's, uh, it's what I know. It's uh, like Latin America is part of, of my daily life, even though I'm not in the region currently. Uh, but it's, as, as Gila said, it's like how I, how I cook, how, um, how, how I think, like my experiences, my opinions have uh, been shaped by um, my experience of uh, living in Latin America. So I, I do think that how we define our Latino, Latina, Latinx identity is so complex and is so diverse across uh, people from the region. And I wanted to also emphasize that Latin America is such a diverse region. Like we all have like different ways of saying uh, popcorn um, with my roommates, we're all, all Latinas. And it's, it's always funny when we're talking and like, we all have different ways of, of saying different things. And it's not just about the language, but it's also about uh, the traditions, our histories, uh, what are some of the things that are really important to our own countries and so on. And it's also about uh, recognizing that not everyone identifies as a Latino, Latina or Latinx and or Hispanic. Um, it might be the case that indig some indigenous peoples and uh, Afro-Latinos don't really go just by the term Latino because they uh, have other identities as well. So it's important to under, understand that the term Latino should not just be applied to everyone that comes from Latin America. I think it's important to ask them if, like, how they feel about like being identified as a Latino or a Latina or Latinx. Uh, I know there is a lot of confusion with Hispanic. Um, a lot of people are like, "Oh no, it's Latin America or Hispanic um, Heritage Month," and it's like, "But what about all those that don't speak uh, Spanish and, and so on?" So, uh, I do think it's, it's very crucial to identify all these differences and uh, let people identify themselves with uh, 
whatever label they want to be identified as. And it's important to respect that label and it's important to uh, acknowledge that not everyone goes by Latino, Latino or Latinx. Um, and I think that brings us to kind of like our next question and like, what are some of the things that we we share in Latin America? Like we know that there, there's food, there's music and, and all that. But um, one of the things I, I, I think is uh, important to, to say is uh, I think there are three things that we, we share. The first is our violent and uh, travel past, our complex present and our uncertain future. And in terms of our violent and, and traveled past, uh, I think Latin American countries uh, do share a history of colonial violence, genocide, enslavement, and exploitation, uh, which uh, have had long lasting consequences on the political, the social, and environmental affairs of uh, each country, each locality, um, with some uh, consequences being structural inequities and that affect primarily marginalized communities. Um, and yeah, I think uh, what uh, Raquel just brought up, it's uh, really interesting because one of the aspects that we share uh, being the violent and troubled past um, ties in a little nicely with with uh, one of the big issues of 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 how to label people from this region, I guess, uh, Hispanic, Hispano, or, or Latino. Um, I think uh, this different different names that, that have been used in the past, uh, it's really, it doesn't really define everyone from the region. region and I, I feel like, um, I feel like different people might associate more with one uh, than another. And I'm sure that, um, what do you guys think? Is there a, any sort of politically correct term for people from this region besides what we just discussed, Hispano, Latin, Latino, Latinx? What do you guys think? I think it's important to note that Raquel sort of said this. Um, there, there's a very, so like Latino doesn't, Latino is itself like a term that is not, doesn't include everything, I guess. So like what I always like to say is that Hispanic is includes all of the Spanish-speaking countries plus Spain, whereas Latino is every Latin American, every country in the continent of South and Central America, including Brazil uh, and other countries like Haiti is technically Latin America. Uh, so is a lot of non-Spanish-speaking countries like uh, Dominique as well, who speaks French and Island of the Caribbean. Those are also considered Latino countries. So it's, it's hard to forge a singular Latino identity because we don't even share a language. Right, we all speak lot languages that are coming from Latin, and that is why it's called Latin America, French, Portuguese, and Spanish. Uh, so, so w I think what Raquel said is really, 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 really good because that's what we share. We share uh, this history of, I guess, we're all trying to the history of the developing world in this continent. Right, we're all still developing. We had a in the two thousands, especially until two thousand and ten. I feel like most countries especially in South America, had a very, had a time for extreme optimism because of the commodity boom. Uh, but since 2010, it's been really downhill. And I guess I could have put it better, Raquel. It is the uncertain future and the very troubled present. Yeah, and in terms of uh, your question about, like, what's the term that we should use to uh, identify people from the region? Um, I will 
rather have someone ask me how like I uh, identify than rather like someone like already assuming that just because I'm from Latin America, I go by Latina. So it's just like a matter of uh, in this process of because um, I do think this is part of like deconstructing our histories and like our colonial histories. It's about like not assuming because like Latin America, the term itself uh, was given to identify the region of Latin America by like the colonizers. So like, what if like people don't go by like Latino or Latina because they what, what for whatever reasons? It's just like it's a matter of like actually asking people and like not assuming where they're coming from or which label they use to identify themselves. And this really relates to this uh, colonial history that we we share. So it makes total sense for communities that have been uh, oppressed, that have been marginalized for, for years to not go by a, this label or to not even identify themselves as Latinos or, part, or as part of the Latin American culture because their communities haven't been exposed to that aspect of uh, what it is for us to be Latinos. Um, so yes, I think that's one of the, the complexities that comes with um, uh, the things that we do share um, uh, across Latin America. No, yeah, I do agree. I think that the word to describe Latin America is complexity and diversity, but at the same time, we have this whole, we do have a unifying court, I'd say. Uh, I think it's hard to lay on something physical or like more, I guess, in the day-to-day -day thing. So I don't think we can even uh, rely upon a language or a shared culture because it's all so different everywhere, even inside the same country. So greatly different. Oh, it's funny now. I just realized before this, this podcast used to be Brazilian dominated. Now it's Ecuadorian dominated. Look at that. Look at the shift. <laughs> uh, but it's so... Uh, Exactly. Like I, I, I you know, well, I, like, well, <laughs> I know that in Brazil it's so so different regionally. In Ecuador, I imagine so as well. I know you're both from Quito, so maybe you don't have very undifferent experiences, uh, culturally speaking. But surely, if you're from the coast in Ecuador and if you're from uh, live in the the, the, the Amazon, Amazon, you're yeah. gonna be very different culturally. It's the same in Brazil. Uh, so it doesn't matter how small or big the country is; it's so different. So how can we have a homogeneity inside Latin America? You can't. Um, and that would even, they wouldn't even be good. It would take away from the beauty and diversity we have in the continent, which is something I think should be very, very celebrated. Okay, so I do think that uh, as part of, of, of Latin American Heritage Month and the conversations that we're having and uh, the events that we are contributing or, or celebrating or attending, I think it's important to think about and reflect on these long-lasting consequences uh, as a result of, of, of our colonial history and also uh, understanding the current situation in Latin America. Uh, a lot of countries are going through uncertain political times as well as economic. There's a lot of economic uncertainty as a result of the pandemic and how this uh, political and economic situation uh, paired up with uh, climate change and natural disasters have caused a lot of people to leave their countries, leave their families, um, looking for a better future, a better uh, a better position for them and their families elsewhere. So I do think that's also part of, of Latin American Heritage Month. The fact that a lot of people have to leave their countries because of um, situations that have put them at risk, that have put them and their families in um, situations of uh, poverty, of uh, 
unsafeness and just like looking at what are some of the consequences and what are some of the things that are happening in Latin America as a result of these, um, I guess, this complex present that is part of our region nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Raquel. And then it was an amazing transition as well. That was brilliant. Because now we can move from Latin American Heritage Month and talk about something a bit more serious and less, uh, less uplifting, which is the massive, I mean, immigration and subsequent, basically, deportation of hundreds of thousands of Latin Americans in the southern border of the United States, specifically, obviously, the us Mexico border. And just to start a discussion about this, I just want to bring a couple of numbers. So since uh, Joe Biden took office in, when he did take office in January of 2021, uh, there was around a bit under 100,000 um, migrants coming uh, to the border. Right now, uh, so we're recording on October 8th, uh, there is a spike to, almost, to around 200 and 25,000 immigrants uh, trying to get into the United States. So, as you can see, a massive spike. Of course, there's many explanations about that. One could argue that it's because the pandemic has been receding in the U.S. and definitely other parts of the world, although Latin America is still lagging behind vaccinations. Uh, Mexico is still having a hard time, but the pandemic has uh, abated a bit in the developed world. And you could also argue that it's because of Joe Biden's election as a more pro-immigration president. Definitely, well, that's debatable, but more pro-immigration than Trump, I can absolutely say now of certainty. Uh, that could have caused many people to go to uh, the United States. But I was wondering, what do you guys... Uh, I'm actually stealing Raquel's question because I didn't answer. I just, <laughs> I just introduced the topic. Uh, why do you think there are so many... Actually, that is a bad question. I, we there are so many reasons we can even get into that. But do you think that do you think that this uh, massive influx of immigrants to the United States is something that can be solved at home? So, what do governments at home have to do to make uh, our our Latin Americans brothers and sisters not have to take this very arduous journey? Because again, a lot of them go by by land. They take trains and walk and. Well, to get to the U.S. southern border, they don't fly to El Paso most of the time. So I was wondering, what do you guys think about all of that? I think this, the answer for this question is not just, first of all, I think it's a very complicated and interesting question because I think all the different countries from Latin America are experiencing um, a very difficult time right now, especially um, as we're trying to exit the COVID-19 pandemic that, we, that we've been dealing for the past few years. But um, I think there's also very different political situations in different countries. Um, um, for example, um, all the, the, the migrants that were, uh, were waiting to, to get into the US through Texas from Haiti that, that uh, were struggling in the heat and were basically uh, being sent back to the country even though the situation there after their their like the political instability caused the the, the assassination for the for the president and all, all these conflicts back home uh basically forced these people to leave uh, to seek for a better future for themselves their families and and the future of their kids um i think one of the the most important things is to to for the governments to 
to uh, invest more money in 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 trying to solve the the health crisis in order for for the the economy to to improve for the people to to keep uh, their jobs and for everything to to get a little bit back to what it was before but also i guess um the the inequality gap that exists has to be um taken care of i guess i'm not exactly sure uh what do you guys think are politics uh, uh that would help this uh i'm sure there's many that would help but um if you guys want we could focus in one specifically but i think uh the inequality gap is one of the main things that, that should be focused in order for for people uh to not be in such desperate positions that they need to either leave the country or or either legally or illegally and want to and 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 let them stay in in their home country and and develop and 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 enjoy their life there okay uh that is interesting i'll pass the ball on to Raquel. i see you want to speak so please go ahead um i think the deportations are a call to action definitely i do think we should all do do better as uh even i'm just thinking like okay so it's not just about the governments and the policies and like what are some of the uh resources that are available to people in need of not only money, but also access to health services, access to um, education and so on. So it's like, what can the civil society do? Um, and as part of this, it's just like the activists and vocal about the uh, immigration status and the uh, situation that is taking place in, in the US border. In terms of like what governments can do, um, I mean, such a complex and such a, I guess, even like a broad question, just because, I mean, we have seen our governments are, are so different from one another. Our uh, political systems are a bit different too. So it's like, I don't know um, if there should be like a unified response. Uh, however, I do think that we should look at what are the priorities that each government is taking. So it's not just like, oh, how are governments responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, and how are they supporting their citizens through economic, social, and um, other resources that are available to them? But what are the programs and the projects that governments are uh, planning or are already executing in our country? So it's like, to what extent that they're actually doing something to prevent, uh, to reduce the inequality gap, to prevent people from leaving the country, to uh, even like uh, help up with the with the economic crisis. So I think this is also an opportunity to be critical about like what our governments are doing, what kind of policies they're pursuing, uh, what kind of ideology they're even like implementing. So. I don't know what what's the role of the IMF, what's the role of the World Bank, what's the role of our countries um, as a uh, as uh, institutions and as leaders uh, to help reduce inequality gap, to help uh, all citizens uh, with the resources uh, the resources they need. Um, yeah. What do you think, uh, Guillaume? Yeah. What do you think, Guillaume? I wanna I wanna hear your take on this question. 
No, yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, so there's two sides to this, and I think the most important one is to understand that these people that are in the U.S., the the, sub, the southern border of the U.S. specifically, these people are not the middle class. These people are refugees. That I think it's very important to state that you're a refugee. So they're usually extremely poor and in extremely vulnerable back in their home countries, be it El Salvador, be it Brazil, be it Nicaragua. So. And also the fact that they're making this very dangerous trip by land also shows how desperate these people are, which I think are very, this, of course, the reasons for immigration are different, but it's very akin to what happens in Europe. So we have desperate people making the very dangerous journey by by uh, by sea across the Mediterranean in very precarious vessels. Um, hundreds of thousands have died since uh, the, the beginning of, of that immigration wave. And something similar happens not in America. Fortunately, they don't have to cross an ocean, but it's still equally dangerous uh, by crossing uh, Mexico and Central America by by land. So what leads these people to do this is desperation. And uh, I think there's two or two main pillars, I'd say. Obviously, it's, it's so complex. We can never talk about everything in, in one episode. But I think that uh, the two most important issues are poverty and security. So these people are either in extreme poverty to the extent that they, have, they see no way of... Uh, supporting themselves or their families if they stay in their home country that for a billion reasons and number two security a lot of people are threatened by the the extreme violence that is rampant for a lot of america so they also feel like if they had stayed they're going to be killed so i think those are the two uh big issues that should be generally addressed by the governments of the of the continent in, in brazil i know that the most single issue that should be addressed is uh, social inequality. So I think a lot of the government owns it to the population to give back. So give uh, some sort of welfare assistance for food, for housing, for many uh, different areas. So people don't starve. People in Brazil are starving. Brazil is back in the World Hunger Index after nearly 20 years of being out of it. So it's really, really sad. And I know that the similar things are happening throughout the continent for different reasons. But I just want to bring another number before we move on to another question. Uh, that. The, the number of immigrants to the U.S. has skyrocketed in the 2010s, in this past decade, which has also coincidentally or not been the decade of the conservative wave in Latin America, so after the pink tide. With that, uh, I'll move to a quick last question because we're already uh, exceeding the new times we're trying to keep in this podcast. So now, uh, before, our podcast was around 30, 40 minutes to an hour. Now we're aiming for under 35 minutes. So my final question about this uh, contentious immigration, uh, current affairs news that has been going on recently is is the other side of the coin. So we have also obviously the actions that Latin American governments should and could take to improve the lives of their well citizens. The United States has also been terrible at dealing with 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 the refugees. So uh, the Biden administration campaigned on a promise of increasing Trump's refugee uh, cap. Trump capped the number of refugees that could come to the United States to 15,000, so one five, 15,000 per year, an extremely low number. So Biden ran an agenda to increase that to 125,000. That has yet to happen. And he, the administration has said recently that they are gonna keep the refugee cap at 15,000 for the remainder of the year. And just in comparison, 110,000 refugees were admitted to the U.S. in the last year of Obama's administration. So that's number one. And number two is the massive deportations that are going on. Brazilians are being flown back to Brazil, handcuffed in planes, which I think is the most one of the most absurd things I've ever heard 
in my life and the Brazilian government has not done anything about that. So just keeping in mind how the U.S. has responded to the refugee crisis. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Raquel, what do you think? I'm trying to like find the words to to describe this, but um, I mean, on one hand, it's the situation of many refugees that are um, looking to 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 enter the United States, right? And I mean, the past few years we've been uh, hearing all these really violent stories of of people in. Um, the ICE centers and like the ways that uh, the U.S. immigration system has treated people that are looking to uh, enter the country. So uh, it, this is also just a, a show of um, how political the situation is. Um, I mean, Obama uh, had a different immigration system, immigration policies, then Trump had a completely different one. Uh, let's remember the conversations he had, even while he was running for, for president, about like building up this, this, this wall to, to prevent people from entering the country and so on. So uh, immigration is such a political issue that has, uh, that really, I do think, especially in the U.S., really shapes a president's um, president uh like his his government itself so just kind of like looking at what ha, uh, biden has done in the past uh, few months and what are some of the the promises he he made to uh the us but also to to the world uh as a whole so i i don't know it's just a matter of how political the situation is and how uh leaders like Biden have have responded to and his administration have responded to uh, the immigration crisis that is taking place in their country. And like the security and the resources that are available to uh, people that are already uh, part of, of, of the system, I guess. Yeah, uh, I think that this refugee crisis and the fact that, uh, as Guillaume said, that um, they're brought back to Brazil, handcuffed on the airplane. So that's definitely, uh, I think it's a tragedy. I think it's it's a terrible treatment to someone that's already been through so much uh, suffering. And yeah, also I think it's really bad that even though um, the administration uh, had said, uh, the U.S. administration had said that they were going to increase the 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 cap of of people that were going to be allowed as refugees and they haven't met that yet i think that's a very big issue especially now with all the 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 problems that are existing not just in latin america but uh in the world um uh a lot of people from afghanistan are probably also uh, seeking a place uh, uh to 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 live now and I think if they they're not able to to meet what uh, they have promised, I think uh, I just think it's really sad for all the people. Um, I think uh, they should be they should be helped and and given that uh, there's nations that have the capabilities to do it, I feel like more 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 countries should be reaching out. I guess. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I feel that it is really sad. It's a tragedy, really. I think you used the. the a great term there um and I, I just wanted to add that the, the the Biden administration has fallen short tremendously on this issue 
just not being Trump is not going to cut it. It did for the election, but it's not going to cut it anymore. Joe Biden needs to start acting less like uh, almost a moderate Republican and start acting like the progressive Democrat he campaigned on and he promised to be. Keeping the refugee gap at 15,000 refugees per year is one of the most preposterous uh, resignations I've heard from the White House this entire year. The crisis has only uh, widened. As I said before, there are over 225,000 immigrants trying to gain refugee status into the U.S. and they're just going to have to sit around and wait. That is really a tragedy. That's, that's ridiculous. And the fact that Joe Biden has refused to lift the refugee cap this year is, is just despicable in, in, in my view. The United States is, act, is acting childish and it's acting and is allowing hundreds of thousands to die and continue to, to, continues to allow them to die um, due to petty immigration issues introduced by Donald Trump, but that I need highlights again, are being mostly continued by Joe Biden Jr. Uh, and with that, I think we can end this section on immigration and I'll give it back to Raquel. Thank you for that conversation. I do think it's important to talk about like how this political crisis is not just political, it's also humanitarian and how um, Latin American Heritage Month is, is about all that, like not just like, oh yeah, let's go to a Mexican restaurant or let's talk to my Latino friends. It's more about like, what are some of the things that are happening in Latin America? And what are some of the things that are happening to people from Latin, Latin America outside of, of Latin America? Looking at this um, issue in particular, I do think it's important and I think it needs more and more attention to um, even increase some pressure to uh, governments in Latin America and also to the US government to do something. Um, I think it's also important to think and kind of like support the work that uh, immigration advocacy groups are doing to help all those that are looking or are just in the middle, in the midway of like trying to find, um, trying to escape from violent and unsafe and situations to, uh, and, and trying to enter to and be in a, in a better place. Um, and I, with that being said, I, I just wanted to uh, say that Latin American Heritage Month invites us to celebrate the diversity of the region. We've said that it's not just about how we talk or, or uh, how we celebrate Latin America. It's also about learning about the people and the cultures. It's about meaningfully connecting and celebrating the many contributions that Latin America as a region and Latin Americans have contributed to Canada and the international community. I wanted to point out some of the resources that are available, uh, especially in regards of um, uh, Latin, Latin American or Hispanic uh, associations and groups in, in uh, Ontario that are celebrating, that are organizing great and, and amazing events for, for the community and for all those that are interested in uh, joining these type of initiatives. Uh, there are documentaries. Uh, if you uh, check on the Hispanic Canadian Heritage Council, that's HCHC, if you check on their website, they do have a bunch of documentaries that are made by Latin Americans, that are made by um, the Latin American diaspora as well. Uh, there is a Latin Fall Fiesta and Parade. Uh, I think that's taking place on October 9th. There's also a Latin American art exhibition that is um, 
taking place on October 24th. And there's also an ongoing um, presentation of Latin American cuisine uh, initiatives. Um, I think there are a couple of these, uh, there are some restaurants that have discounts. So there's, these are some other ways that you can support the Latin American community in Ontario, in um, Toronto. So check out uh, their website as well as the Toronto Latin American Film Festival. If you check on their website, you can get some tickets to go see films made by Latin Americans and uh, support their work, support the contributions they're, they're giving to uh, our societies uh, here in, in Canada. Absolutely, please do check out uh, these these resources. Raquel has just said they're all very interesting and I think, and I, I, I'm sure you can find something for you. There's very, they're very varied too, which I think is very, very nice. But with that, in that high note, I think we can end today's episode. Uh, it's a pleasure to have had you listen to stay with us so far. Please do not forget to share this episode with your friends and family and to uh, come back. So I'll see you in two weeks. This has been El Cafecito. Ciao.